Nutrition Equity, uh, the podcast where. Uh, oh, are we? Looks like we are. Okay, so um, welcome to Nutrition Equity, the podcast where uh, we explore uh, the crucial intersection between healthcare and nutrition. Our, I'm your host, Joanna. And in each episode, we will delve into the inspiring stories of, uh, and challenges faced by parent and patients and, and covered, uh, with covered conditions as we strive to, for equal access to medical nutrition. Um, today, we, are, we have a special guest um, who we will uh, be sharing our journey with. Cystic, uh, with cystic fibrosis, who will be sharing her journey with cystic fibrosis. Before we delve into uh, this, her story, though, let's, in, let's discuss the topic uh, that affects uh, countless individuals um, and families across the United States. And the Medical Nutrition Equity Act is a medical is a um, bill that is currently being. We're trying to reintroduce it to law. And, for a House Republican right now, it had. Um, we are looking for. Um, it, it covers. It would cover medical foods, formula, and uh, vitamins for those who need it. Um, throughout the podcast series, we will explore um, stories um, um, Okay. Um, um, of patients who are who will be directly impacted by medical nutrition equity act and the transformation um, powered by medical medically necessary nutrition and its role in managing various conditions empowering individuals and to lead health, healthier lives. Um, today we welcome, we have the privilege of speaking with Jessica, who will, um, uh, um, be telling her story about cystic fibrosis. Jessica, can you tell us about, uh, what, what cystic fibrosis is? Yeah, <laughs> so cystic fibrosis is a genetic uh, lung and digestive disease that you inherit, you're born with it. So both parents have to carry the gene for you to have a chance to have CF. Um, it affects both your lung, it really affects every organ in your body. Like there's always like a trickle down effect from CF that I can get into it a little bit. But uh, mainly affects your lungs and your digest just digestive tract. There's about, I want to say, I think 1,800 different mutations of CF, but double delta F508 is the most common. It covers about 90% of the population. And um, <clears throat> some people have both lung and digestive issues. Some people only have lung and some people only have digestive. So I actually have both, but we can get into my story a little bit. But that's kind of the basic. So basically what it does is it's a sweat chloride problem. Your body can't process sweat chloride correctly and it ends up causing thick sticky mucus that builds up in your lungs and other areas of your body and in your lungs. Okay, so um, welcome to Nutrition Equity, the podcast where uh, we explore uh, the crucial intersection between healthcare and nutrition. Our, I'm your host, Joanna, and in each episode we will delve into 
the inspiring stories of, uh, and challenges faced by parent and patients and, and covered, uh, with covered conditions as we strive to, for equal access to medical nutrition. Um, today we, are, we have a special guest um, who we will uh, be sharing our journey with. Cystic, uh, with cystic fibrosis, who will be sharing her journey with cystic fibrosis. Before we delve into uh, this, her story, though, let's, in, let's discuss the topic uh, that affects uh, countless individuals um, and families across the United States. The Medical Nutrition Equity Act is a medical is a um, bill that is currently being. We're trying to reintroduce it to law. And I'm, Looking for a House Republican right now. It had. Um, we are looking for. Um, it, it covers. It would cover medical foods, formula, and uh, vitamins for those who need it. Um, throughout the podcast series, we will explore um, stories um, of patients who are who will be directly impacted by Medical Nutrition Equity Act and the transformation um, powered by medical, medically necessary nutrition and its role in managing various conditions, empowering individuals and to lead health, healthier lives. Um, today we welcome, we have the privilege of speaking with Jessica, who will um, uh, um, be telling her story about cystic fibrosis. Just can you tell us about uh, what what cystic fibrosis is? Yeah. <clears throat> so cystic fibrosis is a genetic lung uh, digestive disease that you inherit. You're born with it. So both parents have to carry the gene for you to have a chance to have CF. Um, it affects both your lung, it really affects every organ in your body. Like there's always like a trickle down effect from CF that I can get into it a little bit, but uh, mainly affects your lungs and your digest digestive tract. There's about, I want to say, I think 1800 different mutations of CF, but double delta F508 is the most common. It covers about 90% of the population. And um, <clears throat> some people have both lung and digestive issues. Some people only have lung and some people only have digestive. So I actually have both, but we can get into my story a little bit, but that's kind of the basic. So basically what it does is it's a sweat chloride problem. Your body can't process sweat chloride correctly and it ends up causing thick, sticky mucus that builds up in your lungs and other areas of your body. And in your lungs, it can cause severe lung infections. You can grow all kinds of bacteria that are very deadly. And for your digestive tract, it can cause a list of problems that are about this long, like a mile long that we can get into specifically um i can get into a lot of them when i talk about my journey because it uh, i have both so okay that's about, if, if i actually sat there and told you what cf was like in a very we'd be here all day that's about the okay. <laughs> gotcha. okay so and um, can you tell us about your journey and uh, with cystic fibrosis and where and when you uh, were diagnosed and how it was how it has impacted your life yeah, so I was diagnosed at three years old, and how they even thought to test me for CF was my bowels prolapsed. My bowels fell out. It's very common with CF patients. Um, 
because of our digestive issues. And uh, so they sent me down to John Hopkins and I got a sweat test and it came back like, yep, she's got CF. So uh, I dosed at three. It's been quite a journey. Um, I have um, an array of issues. I'm almost 40, so I wasn't supposed to see 10. So CF is considered a childhood killer disease, but there's actually now more adults living with CF than there are kids because of all the advances in meds. But in the 80s, when I was diagnosed in 1985, they didn't really know crap about CF. And it was a crapshoot on whether or not you were going to make it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so they told my parents, like, she's probably not going to see 10 years old. And then 10 came and 10 went. And I, they were like, well, she's probably not going to see 16. And 16 came and 16 went. And... They're like, well, she's probably not going to see 18. And I just kept proving a point and proving them wrong and being like, yeah, no, nah, homie, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. I'm not going. You, you won't yeah. be with me for a long time. So I just turned 40 um, in November. And that was um, <clears throat> my, my, my husband threw me a surprise birthday party. And my mom made this like huge speech about me having CF and the battles that I fought and how I made it this far. And she made me cry. But, uh, so yeah, my journey with CF has been quite interesting. I actually didn't, um, well, it kind of flows into question number two, which is how CF affects different aspects. Um, but um, I technically have both lung and digestive problems. My lung problems weren't really prominent when I was younger until I got into like my early 20s and then it started to get progressively worse as I got older. Um, I always had a baseline lung a function number in the 90s and up to 100 and sometimes past 100. Um, so for that, my baseline to kind of slowly decline over the years, especially in my 30s, was like scary. You know what I mean? And then I have the digestive issues um, that are still giving me problems till this day. Like it is my lungs uh, with all the new advancements in medicine, <clears throat> uh, especially the, the medicine trichapta. Uh, my lungs are doing fantastic, but my GI tract is still trying to take me out on a daily basis. So uh, my journey with CF has been quite an interesting one um, because if you see me as a kid, you wouldn't have any clue that I was sick. You know what I mean? And I wasn't, my, I grew up on a farm, so I grew up around animals and germs and playing in the dirt and doing all this crazy stuff that is so like taboo in the CF world. And it actually helped me build the immune system that I have. So uh, I'm kind of glad my parents didn't put me in a bubble. But in my 20s, uh, it started to change. And uh, some of that was me. I hit a rebellious phase. I think everybody with a chronic illness at some point in their life hits a rebellious phase. Yes. Uh, I hit it hard. Like, I drove that shit into a brick wall at 1,000 miles an hour, partying and stuff. But uh, so, but... You know, even when I wasn't, like, my lung function and my digestive issues and things like that, uh, you know, progressively got worse. I was fighting a lot more battles. I was in and out of the hospital a lot. I had never been in the ho hospitalized once for CF, except for 12 years old. Um, I got to kind of backtrack a little bit. I got a feeding tube at 12 because I wasn't gaining weight. Um, we can get into that with the aspects of CF. But um, so I wasn't gaining weight. I got a feeding tube at 12. But that was my only hospitalization. It was technically like outpatient surgery. Uh, until my 20s, and then it was just a roller coaster of, I'm good, I'm not, I'm good, I'm not, I'm good, I'm not. And sometimes it was like three, four times a year I was in the hospital. So it was, it was, it's definitely been a roller coaster in my adult life and a completely different journey than it was in childhood for sure. Uh, but I'd like to say that, like, even though I'm having some like problems 
now that I didn't have before. Um, it's definitely way better than it was pre-tricapto from where I was sitting pre-tricapto, um, pre to that drug coming out to now. Like, I feel like I'm a kid again now versus e even though, despite my couple problems here and there, compared to what I was in my early 20s and, you know, the battles I was fighting then. Uh, so I kind of am thriving now in my 40s and I shouldn't be per, you know, statistics. So I, you know, it's, it's a wild ride. CF is not a, it's not an easy feat. It's definitely a roller coaster and it has taken me on some journeys that I ain't trying to go back to. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. Proper nutrition is crucial in uh, managing cystic fibrosis. Uh, could you talk about the role of specialized nutrition in your uh, treatment plan and uh, how it is how it's benefited you? Yeah, so I kind of tied uh, the aspects of CF and proper nutrition into one because all of the things uh, like CF, like I said, affects your lungs, your digestive tract, um, you know, and all of those things tie into proper nutrition and and all of that stuff. So CF patients don't absorb calories, fat, protein, vitamins, minerals, all of that stuff. They don't absorb it properly. They only technically absorb, statistically speaking, about 30% of what they intake. So really, we're supposed to eat about three times as much as a normal person to really just gain a normal person's caloric and fat intake, right? So the way I've always put it for years is my doctor encourages me to eat McDonald's because what's bad for you is actually good for me. Um, it's kind of weird. So we need the high fat, high calorie, like double portion meal diet, things like that. And I'm 105, 107 pounds soaking wet. And that's on a good day. Um, I haven't, I've actually managed to maintain three digits the last probably five or, uh, let's see, I'd say five or six years. And I never maintained three digits in my life. Um, and that's thanks to a, a few things, but, um, so yeah, so we don't absorb things correctly. Like I said, I got a feeding tube when I was 12. Uh, I wasn't gaining weight. I We have to take enzymes when we eat. So I take one called, uh, I actually just switched it, uh, called Pertsy. So there's that, there's Creon, there's Pancrease, there's Zenpep, there's quite a few digestive enzymes that we have to take every single time we eat. Um, and that's so we can help absorb our, our food and digest our food properly. And if we miss those, the... Um, pain and the issues that we have from missing them is not a ride you want to go on. Um, so with not absorbing it right, my doctors were like, you know, and I, I had an appetite. I was farm girl. Like I ate, you know what I mean? I just wasn't, malnutrition is a big thing in cystic fibrosis. It's a huge thing. And my doctors were basically like, she needs to get a feeding tube or she's going to die. And I was 12. So you're talking preteens, right? And my preteen self went, I don't think so. I'm, I'm already dealing with enough crazy in school and people making fun of me and this and that, whatever, and blah, blah, blah. I don't need a feeding tube to add on to that, right? But I had to get it, long story short, I got it. And I actually, it's part of me and like, I, I share my story all the time. And I talk about my journey with self-image and having a feeding tube. And I've modeled for years. I've, you know, done all kinds of stuff uh, and embraced the fact that I had one, right? So it took, it took a while to, to go through that journey. But, um, so yeah, got the tube. When I tell you in the last, let's see, I got it in 1994. So do the math on that um, for, so like almost 30 years, I'd say, right? Uh, 
has saved my life more times than I care to count, right? When I've been sick, when I've had appetite issues, when I didn't want to eat, um, you know, just trying to maintain my weight, anything you can list on that from, from the benefits of a feeding tube, it has saved my life. Now, some people with CF will get a feeding tube, gain a bunch of weight, and then get it removed. I never did that, A, because I never gained that much weight. But B, even if I did, I would never get it removed because I knew there was going to be some point in my life where it was going to be beneficial to me and save my life yet again. You know what I mean? So I'm mm-hmm. just not one of those that like got it and got it removed and needed it again or whatever the case may be. Uh, so I take, so you see my pump in the background. Uh, mm-hmm. I take a formula called Nutrition Nutrition 2.0. I eat about, well, I say I run about four cans of that through my pump a day. Sometimes it's about two around breakfast or lunch, depending on what I choose, uh, and two at nighttime for like a bedtime snack. Now that's a vast difference from when I was a kid. So when I was a kid and I first got my feeding tube, um, my nutrition journey with this has been kind of wild because, so I was given like five cans of that nutrient pumped in overnight for like eight hours a night constantly for years. So you're talking like from about 12 to 18. And I hit 18 years old and, you know, your body is constantly changing. It's constantly adapting. It's constantly switching from, you know, whether it's your hormones from going teenager to older young adult or, you know, whatever, young young adult to where I'm at now at 40, your body's always changing, right? So my body at 18 kind of went, we don't like this anymore. I wasn't eating during the day. Um, I was very lethargic. I was tired. I was, I wasn't, I didn't have no energy. And I knew it was like having all of that nutrition pumped into me overnight, uh, doing it. You know what I mean? It was actually elevating my sugars and making me like having them very high, uh, and like just making me blood. Right. And I wasn't eating anything until like six o'clock the next day, like in the evening, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't eating at all. And I finally looked at my team and I said, I can't do this anymore. Like I quit, like I'm not doing the feeding tube anymore. It's not happening. It's not benefiting me. I'm getting no nutritional benefit out of this at all. And I, I just quit. And when I for tracking back to the like hospitalizations of my early twenties, they were basically saying like, you have to hook up because believe it or not, weight gain, your weight and your lung function correlate. So if you have weight on you and you're like maintaining your weight, your lung function is going to do better. It's why exercise is so important for people with CF. Like cardio is kind of like the oxymoron, like Cardio is going to burn the calories that I don't need to burn. I have to replace them, right? But cardio also helps my lung function. So it's kind of like a catch-22. Uh, so in my early 20s, my doctors went, like, can you please start using your feeding tube again? I'm begging you. Like, you need this nutrition. It's important. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it my way. So in true Jess fashion, I'm doing things my way, 100%, right? I've always had a say in my medical decisions, even as a kid. Like, I always had a say in it. They always listened to me. Uh, and I, my input was always counted, right? So I was like, listen, let me do it my way. I want to do this as like a, at nighttime, like at a, as like a bedtime snack. So not as many cans, can't tolerate that many cans getting pumped in, right? Uh, and you're talking like 500 milliliters, one can is 500 milliliters at, uh, <clears throat> 250 milliliters at 500 calories a pop. It's a high fat, high calorie, high protein, right? And, uh, five of those you'd just be a beached whale. Like it's just not doing it. So I do two cans at night for about three hours 
and it runs slowly and it's usually at night when I'm like winding down, right? I'm watching TV, I'm chilling out for the night, I'm slowly like, you know, I'm done for the day, right? It's my bedtime snack. I'm usually, and I believe it or not, like if I do it at night or and right now when I'm doing it for breakfast also, I, um, I eat also. So it's not like filling me up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I can still eat regular food with it. Um, that was the problem that I had before is it was filling me up and I wasn't eating regular food at all. And, um, so anyway, that actually made a world of difference when I switched my game up to that. And, uh, it, I gained like 10 pounds, like in a couple months, like I was putting weight on like left and right in my early twenties when I switched my game up. And that has been beneficial for me and the way I do it for so many years. I just recently in the last year or so added in the extra cans in because I'm at a point in my life where I can tolerate adding the extra cans in at a different part of the day to get more calories in, right? So I still struggle with weight. I'm 107 pounds. I'm only 5'4". I am like, you know, I'm scrawny. I'm skinny. My mom's tiny and small, so I have like all kinds of genetics working against me, right? Like I'm not getting much bigger, mm-hmm. but like I know I have the ability to put the weight on because I've been like 115. I just gotta, I just gotta get there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so medical nutrition like that is important. So I have my feeding tube, but if you don't have a feeding tube and you don't like, you're not at the point of needing a feeding tube, uh, there's other things that are beneficial to you that I actually also use that other CF patients use that don't have feeding tubes. And that's like uh, nutritional shakes, bars, and you know, things like that. So I get, um, I used to get like the Orgain shakes. Um, as a kid, I had what was called Scandi shakes. They got shown mm-hmm. down my throat as a kid. Uh, don't drink them anymore because they had a really weird aftertaste and when you have so much of them shoved down your throat as a kid, you kind of get sick of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, but I go through food phases where like I'll eat a lot of something and then I'll get sick of it. And I won't eat it for a while. Um, so I have to give myself variety so I don't get sick of something. Right. And I still want to get, use it and get the benefit out of it. So I was doing organ shakes for the longest time. Uh, and I'm not sick of those, but I found that especially in the summertime, I like smoothies and milkshakes and things like that. So I got the Orgain uh, protein powder so I can. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, my phone, my phone rang. Sorry. Hold on. Give me a oh, okay. Yeah. Can you, can you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Your, your screen froze though. Uh, of course it did. Hold on one second. Sorry, my phone rang and I don't know what. There we go. There I am. Okay. Um, anyway, so now I do like the organ nutritional, like the powder protein powder, and I can kind of make, put it in whatever shake or smoothie that I want. And I get bars, like I get kind bars or or the organ bars or the meal replacement bars, things like that. Anything that's like calories and stuff like that. I have a whole menu I can choose from, uh, through Healthwell because I get, um, my, some of my stuff paid for through Healthwell Foundation, so it's mm-hmm. great that helps pay for it because it, it doesn't um, it doesn't get covered. But uh, so yeah, those those type of things for CF patients are crucial to getting extra supplemental nutrition in to help for cal- uh, calorie intake, fat intake, weight gain, all of the above. Um, other important thing is like vitamins and minerals and stuff like that. So we get like, I personally am on uh, a multivitamin called ADEX. Uh, I'm sorry. It used to be called ADEX. Now it's called DECUS. Uh, and I'm on a vitamin D3 50,000 unit uh, replacement 
pill that's kind of like a replacement there because I have a, a, I, I constantly have vitamin D deficiency, even though like I live in the sun as a farmer, so it makes no sense. But um, so I have that and a lot of things like the, I don't actually know, I, it's been so long. There's like so much back and forth with my insurance and uh, who pays for what and grants and programs that I used to be able to keep like really good track of who's paying for what and how much it is and like you know, when you're a, a wife and a mom now and you got all the crazy going on, it's kind of hard to keep track of it. So I call my pharmacist at Hopkins and I'm like, just take, <laughs> just take care of it. I can't keep track of it. But uh, so I know the Health Love Grant pays for my uh, bars and my nutrition powder and my vitamins and shakes and all of that. My feeding supplies is where I get a little wonky because I know that I think Medicare does not pay for that. Uh, I think Medicaid's covering it, but don't quote me on it because I can't really remember at this point who's covering it. It was like it actually it accidentally got put under my health loan grant grant at one point, and that like that's expensive. Like that is pricey, right? So it was like blow my health loan. Uh, so I'm not sure who's paying for that, but uh, so you know all of that stuff is like it gets wonky when it comes to like what, who's covering what, when, why, and how. And the problem is it is, is it's so important for CF patients. And I did post a couple of those survey questions about like that I told you I was going to post and say like, you know, who has what issue and who gets what nutrition issues, mm -hmm. uh, stuff and who's paying for what. And the most common one was they get assistance in helping pay for the nutrition. But you got to remember like these grants and these assistance programs, they're always like income based, and things like that. So if you make too much, you may not qualify. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I technically am on disability. I work right now. I'm trying to work full time. It's not really like my bot. It's not really working for me medically wise. So like I work from home. But like, so I'm probably going to go back to like part time and just still being on disability. Um, even though it was and I don't know what that would look like. So let's say I said full time is working great for me and I can manage it and it's you know the balance is great. I don't know what that would even look like for me under normal insurance because I've been on disability for so long. I've been on disability since I was 21 because at 21, my doctors were like, stop working full time or you're going to die because you're like working yourself into a grave lady. Mm -hmm. But so, um, so yeah, I don't know what that looks like for people under normal insurance, to be honest, because I don't know if they cover it. I don't know if they have a high copay. I didn't really have a lot of answers for the high copay question. Um, because no one really selected that one. So right now it seems like mo most of who answered me was getting help in some form or fashion, but how long that help is going to be, how long it's going to last, if their financial situ situation changes, if something changes in the program, if the program goes away, there's all these different kinds of factors we constantly have to worry about, uh, in whether or not we're going to get proper nutrition through our supplemental nutrition programs. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. One of those affects, aspects that affects CF patients' lives is like appetite issues. So like I struggle with appetite issues all the time. So like I'm on a roller coaster with that too. Like how I said CF is a roller coaster. So like there's days that I'll eat more than a grown man. And then there's days that I'm like halfway you know, through the day and I'm like, my husband's like, did you eat? I'm like, I'm not hungry. Like, you know, and yeah. but all that's doing is hurting me because I'm not, you know, as a busy woman, I'm not thinking about, like, you know, oh crap, I need to eat because I need the calorie intake, you know, 
I'm thinking about, oh, I got to work. Child's got chair practice. I got livestock. You know, all these things are going through my head. So, like, I've struggled with appetite for years because I will get in these, like, and it's not me doing it on purpose. It's literally, like, my body just going, you're not hungry. Like, mm-hmm. so all those stuff, like, and on days like that, that's where my feeding tube comes in. You know what I mean? That's where, yeah. oh, I have a protein bar. Oh, that's where I can grab a shake and throw it in because I, you know, my, I got reminded that, hey, I didn't eat something. And on good days where I have an appetite, I'm throwing those things on, on in my on my own anyway because I know I can pack in the calories, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it plays a huge factor in CF patients' lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything everything ties in together some way, some form or fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, I mean, proper nutrition, getting the calories, getting the vitamins, getting the minerals, getting the supplemental nutrition, wherever you can get it is crucial to lung function staying good uh, mm-hmm. and your weight staying good and malnutrition not coming in and playing a role, you know, all of those things. And I know I'm talking here. Uh, uh, living with a chronic condition um, can, you ch- uh, can be challenging. Uh, how do you cope with Uh, the emotional and psychological aspects of cystic fibrosis? So I'm not your average CF patient when it comes to this topic. Um, (laughs) I tend to be the outcast in the community when it comes to this topic. So, and it kind of goes back to like kind of how I was raised, right? I wasn't put in a bubble. I wasn't treated like I had a chronic illness. Uh, My parents obviously cared for me, but they didn't treat me any different. Does that make sense? Like they didn't. You know, whatever. I had grandparents and like a great aunt and a great grandma that gave me a little bit of specialized treatment. Uh, but my parents were like, let me be a normal kid. Let me do all of the normal things. So I didn't really sit around and let it, let myself sulk in it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever being raised how I am, um, I realized that like if I'm moving, my lungs are moving and I'm alive, right? So, um, I, and having CF is kind of a blessing and a curse. So I don't really, it doesn't really affect me like emotionally. Um, even in my like hardest battles, even like I have had battles that have almost killed me. Right. And, but I'm a fighter. Like I, 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 I'm kind of like one of those, I have a point to prove, you know what I mean? So I made it to 10. I made it to 16. I've defied every thing that the doctors have thrown at me. So at, at this point, I look at it as, yeah, it's going to have to do some crazy shit to take me out. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's a, really, I had, do I have anxiety? I have anxiety and I have panic attacks, but it has nothing to do with CF, right? It's not CF. Right. Or, so, and a lot of people who don't know me well go, well, you have anxiety and you have, you have, you know, this and that, whatever, like it's because of CF, right? And I'm like, actually, no, it's not. It's something completely different. Like it's actually like, trauma from like an abusive relationship years ago right it's not because of my chronic illness i preach to people and i tell people like you can't let cf stop you you need to live your life to the fullest tomorrow is not promised to anybody i don't care if you're healthy or not right so i've always just been like i'm living my life to the fullest i'm doing what i want cf's not going to stop me the only thing that cf has ever really truly stopped me from doing was becoming a nurse because I didn't want to put myself in an environment around sick people to purposely, you know, pick up shit. I don't have a problem. Like, I take, you know, I take care of my family when they're sick, you know, this and that, whatever. But if I'm a nurse, like, I never know what I'm coming across, right? 
So purposely putting myself in that environment around strange people was just was not smart in my eyes. And that there are CF patients that are nurses, there are CF patients that are physical therapists, there are respiratory therapists, there are all these things, right? It just wasn't for me in my eyes. So technically that's really the only thing CF stopped me from doing um, and really having a full-time career, right? Because my health had to be number one. Taking your, despite what I'm doing and how I'm going about my life, like um, taking care of myself even today, even though I'm healthier than I was like five years ago, right? Uh, it's still a full-time job. It's still more than a full-time job. It's 20, you know, 24, 7, 365. CF doesn't care if you're getting married, if you're going on vacation, if you have a job, if you have kids, like it doesn't, it doesn't care, right? Chronic illness doesn't care about where you're going at. But I've just never let it emotionally take a toll on me. Um, there are other health problems that I have that have emotionally taken a toll on me. Um, one of them is a trickle-down effect of CF and tied in with something else. So, like, okay, a trickle-down effect of CF because of not absorbing vitamin and minerals correctly. Uh, I have a lot of bone loss. I have, like, osteopenia, and I have, like, degenerative disc disease in my back and a whole bunch of other things, and right at the base of my spine, now this is not CF related, I actually, they actually found this when I was 30 on like my first MRI ever, right? Mm. Uh, all, all the x-rays I've had in my life and all the radiation that's been pumped into me, you would think they would have noticed something, but they didn't. And uh, I make that joke for, I've made that joke for years, because I'm like, guys, like how many x-rays have I had? You didn't, you didn't notice this, right? So anyway, MRI, and they were like, so I have a, like a bump at the base of my spine, and I'm Known it was always there, I just never knew what it was. You know what I mean? Just thought it was like, well, that's just how my back is, right? It's actually a very small case of, it's one of the smallest cases Hopkins has ever seen of spina bifida, where my back didn't fuse together at the base of my spine. Hmm. And I was like, oh, well, that's nice. Let's just add that onto a list of medical problems that I have. So all of my nerve tension probably comes from that on top of my degenerative disc disease and, you know, the bone issue that the F has caused. So, you know, when I go to places like Disney or a theme park or something like that, I'm like in my 30s, I was still like, I need a scooter. I can't walk 18 miles in three days at a park. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, yeah. do, I can't stand at a concert. I have to get handicap seating because I can't stand for four hours at a concert in the same spot. I have like if I, and it's weird for me to say that as like a farmer and a gardener because I farm and I garden and I do all those things, but I can also take breaks when I want to. I'm not standing in the same spot. I'm years old at, to be able to go to like a theme park like Disney or go to Kings Dominion or some, you know, mm -hmm. some, you know, ride theme park, things like that, where I'm going to be there for hours a day. And I can't, you know, I can't stand in line for an hour and a half if it's busy, you know what I mean? So things like that. That bothers me. Like, it, it doesn't take enough of emotional toll to, like, wreck my whole day or wreck my life. But it bothers me, like, in the back of my brain kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is BS. I, you know, I shouldn't need a scooter at 40. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I do. And I get it. And it's whatever. And I make, you know, I make light of it. I have a very dark sense of humor. So most people with chronic illnesses tend to have a dark sense of humor and a twisted sense of humor about it. So that's how I get through it. I use, I, I use humor for a lot of things. But, um, yeah, as far as anything else, like, really, like, taking a toll on me, it hasn't. Now, will that change over the years if my disease progresses? Probably. You know what I mean? Obviously, this is this disease can progress and get worse as you get older. It's how, you know, shit goes awry and, you know, whatever. But right now and through my life, even when I was fighting my hardest battles, I'm a fighter. 
Like, I got a point to prove. You ain't taking me out. You may win the battle, but I'm going to win the war kind of girl. That's kind of my mentality. Mm -hmm. So. Do you have anyone supporting you? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So. Yes. Okay. so, my family, like, on both sides, of my mom and my dad's side of my family, have been, like, I have, like, the biggest support system that anybody could ever ask for. If I need something, somebody's there for me, whether it's my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, God rest their soul, they're not here. My grandma, my great-grandma, my great-aunt, and my um, gra gra <coughs> grandmother and my grandfather were always, or were the key instruments in me getting my care at Hopkins. So, like, um, they would take me to my Hopkins appointments, you know what I mean, with my mom. <laughs> down in Baltimore City so like they were like and my grandma even as into an adult in adulthood would go with me you know what I mean before she passed away um she would go with me to my appointments my team absolutely adored her like she was she I don't even I can't even count on I can count on less than one hand how many appointments she actually missed and that's because maybe I was already down there you know what I mean and my appointment was the next day because I live about 45 minutes from the city. I, I live out in the country. So, like, you know, if I happened to be already down there at a friend's house and my appointment was the next day, that would be literally the only reason she ever missed an appointment. You know what I mean? I don't, she don't, she didn't care where I was at, what I was doing. She was going to Hopkins. Uh, my mom, same way. You know what I mean? Like, my husband, when I got with him, completely and totally devoted to me from day one. I was in, when we started dating, I ended up in the hospital with swine flu for the second time. In 2014 um, and that was the one that almost took me out that was the one that actually almost died um, and he so he has seen me be down in the dumps from day one right mm -hmm. uh, but he is super supportive and you know tells me to rest when I need to uh, does he get a little bit desensitized sometimes when I'm doing well and I'm just like because I've always been a go 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 right I have to be on the move I have to be go I'm Sagittarius we're adventurous I'm like on a plane or I'm doing something, you know, or I'm, you know, just off in the world somewhere. Right. And I've always been like that. And so he gets a little bit desensitized sometimes when I'm like really healthy and doing good and I'm just on the go or whatever. And I have a bad, then all of a sudden it, it switches and I have a bad day and he's like, oh yeah, that's right. You're sick. You know what I mean? It, it's not on purpose. It's literally just, you get, I've just always been such a normal person that you wouldn't even know that I had CF. Right. Mm -hmm. that it's very easy to get desensitized when you live with somebody for almost a decade and you're used to seeing them really sick, but you're also used to seeing them really good and, you know, having more good days than bad. And you almost forget like, Oh shit, they have a chronic illness. Like, whoops. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, but he's super supportive. My daughter is like my right hand. She's my shadow person. She is mommy. Do you need anything? Mommy, if you're having a bad day, I got it. Like, don't, you know, sit down. I got it. Don't, don't worry about it. Right. Cause I'm always like, find in the CF community is misery loves company, right? And a lot of people want to sit around and be miserable and sulk about themselves at 
turns into bullying is a big problem. I don't know if you, in your chronic illness community, if you have bullying problems in your own community. Oh, yes. It's a big problem within the CF community, and I have addressed it for years, and I have called people out for years. It's actually how I started my support group, because I got so sick of the bullying and the regular original. Those people who've committed suicide over formula issues. I We have had people that... um, they were claiming, you know, people were saying, oh, you don't have CF, you're not real sick. And then they turned around and, like, CF took them out, like, two, like the next, like they died. You know what I mean? It wasn't mm-hmm. from suicide. We've had people commit suicide. You know what I mean? So, like, bullying is a huge issue. And you, like, it is, people just want to be miserable, right? So I try to tell people, like, get up, move, don't let CF, like, you may have, a, it's okay to have bad days, right? I'm not saying you can't have bad days. I'm not saying you don't have bad days because I have bad days. Mm-hmm. But like, get up and move. Do something, right? If you if you're laying in bed, you're just laying in bed dying. You're not living, right? Mm-hmm. So do that. Don't let other people. You know, it took me a long time to really get the attitude I have about bullying now because I got bullied for a long time in school and throughout school, and it took me till about 14 to gain my attitude, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you have to just like ignore them move on. I used to engage all the time, right? I used to engage the bullying all the time and it was so bad, so negative, right? Because it, I looked at it as I was defending myself, right? Uh, I spent so many years defending myself that, but like when the online bullying started, like, so I would just like lose my absolute collective shit on people, right? And look like a psycho online. But I, it, I looked at it as defending myself because that's what I was doing in my mind, right? But it's so negative. Like, you just have to, like, ignore it, block it, and move on, right? The block button exists for a reason. I've learned that a lot in my last five years, right? Uh, the block button is a beautiful thing. Block it, you don't have to see it. I don't tolerate bullying in my support group. I've had people try, and I call them out, and I kick them out, right? I don't got to, we ain't, we ain't doing that over here. We left that group for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, don't tolerate the bullying. Live your life to the fullest. Don't listen to people when they tell you you can't do something. You can. Mm-hmm. If there will, there's a way, right? Right. Um, and I'm a little bit of a hypocrite with that when it comes to the nursing thing, but that is just me putting my health first. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Lord knows I've made decisions in my life not to put my health first or take, or take it for granted. Lord knows that mm-hmm. I do that a lot. But... <clears throat> Just, you can do something if you put your mind to it. It doesn't matter if you're chronically ill. I don't care if you want to, you know, if it's something as simple as I can't go to a concert. Have somebody wheel you in in a wheelchair or on a hospital bed, dragging your oxygen behind you. You can do it. You can go, right? Live your life. That is literally the biggest thing. And if I had to give advice to parents, let your children be kids. Let them play in the playground. Let them go swimming. Let them have friends. Let them have sleepovers. I have come across so many parents that put their kids in bubbles, and all they're going to do is kill them because the first time that they come across a regular normal germ, it's going to take them out. I'm talking, I had a mom in my group one time who wouldn't even let her son go to the grocery store, wouldn't let him go to the playground, wouldn't let him have friends over, wouldn't let him stay the night anywhere. I'm like, lady, you are putting him, you are bubble boying him, and he is going to die the first time he gets the common cold. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, like as much as, like I get I get a lot of flack for this and it's a, one of the biggest podcasts that I'm gonna do because I get a lot of flack for it because I do, like I grew up on a farm, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a, I farm now, I have livestock, I garden, I play in the dirt, I'm 
waiting in dirt, germs, and shit all day, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I swim in lakes, I swim in oceans, I jump in the creek, like I'm around bonfires. Hell, it was the 80s, my parents smoked five packs a day around me. That's obviously not the norm, I'm not telling people to do that. But like, you know, it was the 80s, it was a different time. Cigarette smoke actually doesn't bother me. My husband smokes cigars. I'm like one of the rare people that I'm like, it just doesn't bother me. Maybe I've just done enough crazy shit in my life, it just doesn't, you know what I mean? But like, it's like, so like stuff like that, go skydiving if you want. The only thing we really truly is like, as far as that's concerned, dangerous for us to do is scuba diving. So CF patients, we have air pockets in our lungs, right? And if you dive below 50, your reascension can be a problem for any normal person, let alone a CF patient. So I'm sure there's P CF patients that scuba dive, but it's one of the things that I'm like, you might want to think, like, just go snoobaing. It's like scuba and, and snooby. It's like snorkeling and scuba in one. You can go down about 50 feet. You can get the experience. You don't have to risk it, right? There's there's ways around. So, like, you know, just let your kids be kids. Let them play in the dirt. I, I grow pseudomonas in my lungs. There's all these different kinds of bacteria that CF patients can grow in their lungs. I know my pseudomonas come from me gardening and playing in the dirt and, you know, livestock and animals and farming and shit like that. I know that's where mm -hmm. I picked it up. You know what I mean? It's always going to be there. You don't, you can walk out your door and get hit by a bus. It doesn't mean you're going to pick the, the bacteria because you play in the dirt, right? Mm -hmm. So let your kids be kids. Let them have friends. Let them do sleep. Let, let, let them do normal kid things. That is like my number one advice to parents. Let your kids have a childhood. Let them, don't treat them like they're chronically ill. Are they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there some really bad CF cases? Yeah. You can let your kids learn and understand what they can tolerate and what they can't. And that's what my parents kind of did with me, right? And just not putting me in a bubble and letting me do my thing. I learned what I can tolerate and what I can. And honestly, there really isn't much I can't tolerate. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. See, if it passed the Medical Nutrition Equity Act would be a significant step forward in ensuring equal access to medical nutrition. How do you uh, see legislation shaping your future, this future for patients with cystic fibrosis uh, uh, and other covered conditions? Uh, it's going to be a huge help, right? So, like I said, like there, are most of most of the people that I come across get assisted paying for their nutritional supplemental nutrition things and vitamins, right? Mm -hmm. But that can change at any point in time for people, like I said. If they get this act to pass, now I have to dig a little bit further into it, right? So, like, you know, get my husband to read it because I don't have time to read it. Right. Right. To pass this. Yes. Right. Right. So, like, you know, I'm like, go get him to read it. And, like, just take notes and, you know, he'll mentally note all the important things that are, like, I need to point out, right? Yeah. So, uh, but if it does pass and it is truly what it's supposed to be and what we envision it to be, right? Right. Um, it's going to be a game changer because then maybe those grants that help people with certain things can be allocated to other things that people are struggling with and we can kind of shift the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. While this is being covered over here now, now we can focus on other things that we're having problems with, right? Uh, because it's not just like nutrition and vitamins and stuff that patients are having problems with, right? There's co-pays for meds, like the Health Law Foundation right. covers for certain antibiotics and, you know, enzymes and things like that, you know. So if we can shift the nutritional aspect over to the Medical Nutrition Act, then we can take this and focus it on this and you can get a bigger grant, 
you know, there's not necessarily, um, you know, right now for health law, and I'm using health law as an example because that's what I get for find them. Two separate grants you can get. You have the, the grant for your medical co-pays for medicine and stuff like that, and you have the grant for the nutrition, vitamins, th things like that, right? So they're two separate grants. If we could get rid of the need for the nutrition grant because it, everything is truly covered under this and it really is covered the way it should be and not just their version of what they consider covered, right? Because we know the government and what they consider covered and support. Yeah. So, um, you know, then we can shift and go, okay, well, now we can expand the grant program for the medicine because we don't have to split it. You know what I mean? So there's, it, there's so many benefits if, if, and if it can get cut past and it covers like, like, you know, your, your nutrition and your stuff like that, like there's so many other conditions that require feeding tubes or other specialty nutrition and, you know, things like that, that need help also, you know what I mean? And some of the things, some of the grants are only for CF patients and some of the grants are only for people with other conditions, right? So you can get that truly cover it across the board the way it should be and truly be equal and what our definition of equal may not be what the government's definition of equal is right so we really need to make sure that this is what it's supposed to be and, and how it's supposed to go down then it can true we can truly expand other programs to help other areas for those conditions right the nutrition side of things is, is pretty important too, but it's... See, this is what I... And I'm going to try to not go on a tangent with this one, but yeah. I have to... So, like, I've been on disability for so many years, right? Medicare aid. I'm in a special program for Medicare and Medicaid because of, like, my condition and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Basic things. This is what I'm, what I'm pointing out on, like, what the government doesn't cover. Like, I would have to get, like, an Advantage plan and pay for that in order to get medical... Uh, to get vision and dental. Right. It doesn't pay for those things. Those are basic needs, important needs. Right. Nutrition is an important need for some, somebody like me, somebody like you. So right. It, medical and so it's medically right Medically necessary, exactly. Yeah. And there are things that they don't cover that are medically necessary. Like right. my teeth are wrecked from my meds over the years, and I have fixed them a billion times, and they just fall apart, right? I need a permanent fix. $50,000 for that. You know what I mean? Right. Government needs well, to cover. But like, though, they, so. they don't cover basic cleanings. They don't cover extractions. They don't cover x-rays. They don't cover any dental like that. You have to buy and pay a premium for a, a different Medicare Advantage program that does that. And even then, the coverage is garbage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I have to get vision outside of that just to get my glasses. Like, and on a fixed income, that doesn't really fly, you know? So yeah. I think that the government should be covering for people who are disabled or you know or whatever medically or nutrition you know what I'm, nutrition wise and nutrition is just as medically necessary as vision or dental or anything like that right so um is this how is this uh influence your perspective on life and what and do you uh, and how do you prioritize so that's a loaded question. How do I? <laughs> um, so it's funny. I am like a walking oxymoron with that because, like, I have 
very good patient, but at the same time, I worry about other people before I worry about myself. So then I tend to forget about myself. So then I turn into a bad patient. It's a roller coaster. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like, nobody's perfect. So everybody with like a chronic illness or whatever, or even see in the CF world, like we go on like these tangents of really good like months at a time where we're compliant, we're getting all our meds in, we're doing all our things, we're doing whatever, and then something goes awry and we fall off the wagon, right? Whether it's a or a couple weeks or whatever, right? Or we rebel, you know what I mean? So my my perspective is like I have to try to remember that I I'm chronically ill. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I get into like just living life and doing my thing and being uh what even what when I was single or whatever. Now I'm a mom and a wife and all that, right? So like I get it. I get so focused into what I'm doing for other people in, in normal everyday life that I'm like, whoops, I forgot I'm, you know, I forgot I have CF, you know. So like it, you know, every now and then my husband's like, you take your meds, you know, you take your meds when you eat, like you know. So and it's just because I'm busy. So like. I don't really have like a true like it hasn't really changed my perspective on life because I live such a normal life considering I'm chronically ill. Mm -hmm. I just bad patient every now and then and not on purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let's see. Are there any misconceptions um, or misunderstandings about cystic fibrosis that uh, you would like to add, like that you'd like to address? Oh yeah, there's quite a few. Um, okay, so we're not contagious, right? So. Uh, a typical CF patient, if you would have met me and we would have did this interview probably about five years ago, mm -hmm. I'd probably pack it along up about through half this podcast and you'd have a lot of editing to do just to say, you know, get people yeah. to stay, right? So, like, uh, but if you heard me out in the store, like, I'm actually glad I was on Tricapta during, you know, the COVID era because, like, people probably thought I had COVID, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. we, like if I've been out in the store and like hacking a damn lung into a trash can somewhere at Walmart, people think I got Ebola or SARS or the flu or something, you know what I mean? But I don't, it's just how my lungs are. Like we're not contagious. I'm not going to get you sick because I'm coughing the lung up. You know what I mean? Most 99% of our sickness is lung exacerbations from the bacteria in our lungs. So like, obviously if we have the flu, if we have something that's contagious, we're not leaving the house cause we're smart. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, not going out to Walmart and when I have the flu and I can get everybody else around me sick, that's stupid. Like, but it sounds like we have those things when we're out in public, if we're hacking a lung up and we get stares, right? We get stares. People stare at us. I, I turn it into the, what the, are you looking at? You know what I mean? Because like, why are you looking at me? I have CF. Do you want my medical records? Stop staring. You know what I mean? So yeah, a lot of people tend to think we're contagious. I had a lot of, uh, I didn't really have a lot of lung problems, like I said, as a kid. So I didn't really have a lot of the coughing problems to make kids look at me be weird because I was hacking a lung up. Um, my, those really didn't come to like my early twenties, like I said, but like, uh, being skinny and stuff like that was where I got most of the bullying. Um, just because we look okay doesn't mean we're not, we are, you know what I mean? So I'm talking to you right now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like my back's on fire today. You know what I mean? Like my back is like blaming right now. Like, you know, so like just because I'm sitting here having a conversation or I'm out in public at a restaurant or a family event or whatever, we are the masters of disguise, right? We have been able to mask the fact that we are not okay, even though we look Totally fine. I get a lot of stares because I park in handicapped spots some days. I don't park in them every day. You know what I mean? I park in them on the days that I need them. I don't, I don't abuse it. Right. Even though I have the right to park in it because I have the tag, I don't abuse it. And
mad, but I get a lot of stares from people when I park in a handicapped spot. And I'm like, you have no idea what is going on in here, right? You have no idea the amount of pain I'm in, how much I can or cannot breathe today, you know? So it is, it, 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 just because we look okay, it doesn't mean we are. We're pretty good at like hiding it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let me see. Thinking that we're all the same, right? Like I said before, uh, CF patients, we have the same disease. Every case is not the same, not even close. Some things can be similar, but like there's people who have it way better than me right now. There's people who have it way worse than me right now, right? That need lung transplants and, you know, liver transplants and other things going on, right? Um, so we all have the same disease, but no two of us are exactly the same. Our cases are not the same. We may not, even if we have the same mutation, right? It doesn't mean we have the same trickle down effects either. One person can have CF-related diabetes while I just have severe glucose intolerance and hypoglycemia. So I don't have CF-related diabetes yet, which is also another trickle-down effect of having CF. I, the list of trickle-down effects is about yay high, right? So, like, which is why I didn't go fully into it, because we'd be here all day. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, a lot of people assume that um, because we have CF, we're exactly the same. The other thing, and this is actually not, like, um, a misconception, but it's a little fun fact that a lot of people don't know. CF patients can't be around each other. Mm. So can't be around each other because we can pass bacteria back and forth between our lungs that we cough up, right? So I can't right. give like I can't give it to my husband, I can't give it to my daughter, but I can give it to another CF patient. It's really weird. Uh, but they figured that out in the eighties. So back in the eighties, there was CF camp where we got to meet like other kids like us, right? Like, you know how they have all the camps where chronically ill or disabled people can meet other people like them so they can feel like they're not alone in the world and all the yada, 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 right? Well, they had CF camp. So here we are in CF camp, right? And CF patients back in the 80s got chest physical therapy. So if we're in the, if we're in the hospital, we get chest physical therapy. My husband refuses to beat on me. I tell him that it's good for me, you know, like, but he's afraid he's going to hurt me, right? So here's my mom in the 80s beating the shit out of my chest right at CF camp, and I'm hacking up all the junk out of my lungs I need to hack up out, but I'm hacking it up in a room of other CF patients. Mm -hmm. What happened was a giant visa patient outbreak, hmm. which is the mother of all bacteria for CF patients, right? It is like the one you don't want to get. And I got lucky, knock on wood, right? I did not get it. I did not get visa patient from CF camp. I got really lucky because it took a lot of kids out. Like it took, it killed them, like gone, right? So they shut down CF camp and they, you know, six foot rule. That's where, you know, five feet apart came from and all that, you know, whatever. Um, so six foot rule, not around CF patients. Are there CF patients that date? Yes. Are there CF patients that hang out? Yes. Do I do it? No. Nope. Not doing it. Not my thing. I'm not interested in getting somebody sick with pseudomonas that doesn't have pseudomonas. I'm not getting somebody sick with my strain of pseudomonas that combines with their strain of pseudomonas and creates a super bug that's antibiotic resistant because that happens, right? So I don't want to catch their pseudomonas or visipatia or MRSA or, you know, uh, aspergillus or whatever, staph or whatever's growing in their lungs, right? I don't want mycobacterium. The list is this long. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Actually, just choose most 99% of us just got less social media because that's how we connected these days, right? Because uh, in, the, in the 80s and 90s, we didn't, and early 2000s, we didn't have social media, right? 
we had MySpace early 2000s. I guess we had a little bit of social media, but um, we weren't really, you know, it wasn't really till Facebook till we, the CF community truly really started communicating like this and talking like this, right? Um, I had one kid. There was um, so two kids. Uh, I was friends with this girl, Lindsay, um, and this is before we knew we couldn't be around each other, right? Uh, we met at CF camp. She had CF. She lived near me in the same town as me. Um, she had a brother, Wesley, who had CF. Uh, Lindsay died when she was 12. And Wesley died several years back. He had two, two lung transplants, I think. But me and Wesley were in the same grade. So our school had to make sure that we never crossed in the hallway. Uh, that we, They had to make sure we never crossed in the hall. And they had to make sure we weren't in the same class. So we didn't get each other sick. Yeah. So yeah. So that's those are actually really the main ones, the misconceptions and the little fun facts about CF that people really get twisted. Um, I can't really think of anything else that nothing really popped in my head, you know, that really needed to be like, hey, this is not true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, they, uh, um, and that concludes our conversation with uh, with Jessica. Uh, sharing their sharing your story, um, incredible uh, her incredible journey with cystic fibrosis. The story is a testament to the strength of, and uh, resilience of individuals living uh, facing recovery conditions. Uh, we want to extend uh, our deepest gratitude to Jessica uh, for uh, her open for her openness and willingness to. Do share her experience um yep let's uh, see. Um, uh, see as we wrap up this episode of nutrition equity we hope um that it has shed a light on the importance of, of equal access uh, to medically necessary nutrition and the transformation impact it can have on the and the lives of patients. The Medical Nutrition Equity Act re- represents significant stride toward the more inclusive and uh, nu- nutrition uh, um, oh, compassionate and healthcare systems. Um, one of one that recognizes the integral role of nutrition in the overall well-being um, if you want to go to if you want to find out more you can go to nutritionequity.org where you can find out more information read patient stories um, and also write congress um, um, and let's see uh, thank you for joining us for for this enlightening episode of nutrition equity if you are if you enjoyed today's conversation uh, be sure to subscribe into this podcast and stay updated to our future um, episodes as we will continue as we'll continue to explore the powerful connection between healthcare and nutrition. And you can also follow me on YouTube. I am at Rare Chef. It's Rare underscore Chef. Um, let's see. Um, 
Remember, your voice matters in the pursuit of nutrition equity. Uh, we look forward to um, having you join us again and as we share uh, more, more inspiring stories and work toward a healthier and more uh, inclusive future. Uh, that has been Nutrition Equity, and I'm your host, Joanna, and until next time, take care and be well. Thanks. Thank you.